Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menas will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Well, Peter, I've got a bit of a plan. Jack and I touched on it a little bit earlier before the show started, but the Sydney test is the fourth test of the Ashes. The fifth test is in Perth. And I find it very hard to believe that the the Western Australian government are going to let us travel from Sydney to Perth for that fifth test. So I'm proposing we get the New Year's test, the fourth test from Sydney, and then we all fly straight to Perth. Can you... Can you work on that from your end? I'll start um, with my Cricket Australia context and you do it from a government level. I think we can pull it off. Well, that was Australian Test Captain Tim Payne on his radio show, Jack and Payne out of SEN Hobart last Friday, trying to steal the SCG test away from Sydney. If I wasn't upset at him about trying to backstab Lang and now he's trying to take the one little bit of joy I've got on my horizon. So uh, you're not happy with Tim Payne. I'm a- hey, Bennis, have you heard of the concept of humour and a joke and, and speaking okay. Um, speaking with tongue-in-cheek. Well, that was Paul Dennett. I'm Andrew Mensel. We're joined by Jaleesa Abt. Paul, that, that, I did not see any humour in that. One of our friends, Malcolm Conn, wrote an article about the comments. I think if Payne wants to say jokes, he needs to work on his delivery. That sort of dry, laconic, uh, Tasmanian humour doesn't gel in Sydney. It's inaccessible for people with an IQ below 90, eh, mate? <laughs> that is complete S-H-I-T I think there's no way You're the Australian captain You can say something like that Without saying I'm just joking or having He was so thing. clearly joking He was not clearly joking uh, Go and talk to Malcon. He wrote an article about it In the Sydney Morning Herald Jaleesa, adjudicator please Okay, well um, I must have your 
<laughs> IQ under 90 because I actually thought he was maybe testing the waters a little bit uh, using you. using a little bit of humor I think he was doing a little tongue-in-cheek but I also thought maybe he was just throwing it out there to see what happened and then you can always say oh I was joking or and also I didn't actually hate it <laughs> I, hate, I think he's got a point I don't think Perth are gonna let them in after they've been in Sydney he's unless don't was- go to Perth Jaleesa Take away the Sydney test. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does feel like the you problem, Perth, but uh, not an us problem. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I thought he was maybe throwing it out there. I didn't hate it. Why didn't I hate it? Perth, I should have hated it. I didn't. Perth have got the AFL grand final. That's enough for them. So I took to Twitter because I was so upset when I heard those. You were comments. very upset. And I tweeted out WTF at Tim Payne 36 on Twitter. And I wrote, suggesting the SCG Ashes test should be moved to Tasmania so they can fly to Perth. Short memory after New South Wales saved the Indian series last summer. Then I got this reply from Tim Payne. Lighthearted conversation with the Tasmanian Premier Menas. Relax. Exactly. Now, Menas, during the 2002 Salt Lake City Olympics, Roy and HG had a campaign to get a future Olympic Games to smiggin holes in um in australia i can imagine you if you were from calgary or somewhere saying how can australia get the winter olympics you don't even get snow properly i'm marching in the streets he was just he was just joking mate okay well i'm I'm glad he's clarified his poorly worded and delivered comments as as (laughs) being the cricket journalist i am i sought clarification and i did invite tim payne to join us on the show today and unfortunately he has planned neck surgery to avoid confronting me. So he's um he's in doubt for the summer. Well, no, actually, he's not in doubt for the summer, but certainly not coming on Cricket Unfiltered today. What do you mean he's planned neck surgery to avoid you, Menace? He would have had that booked in anyway. Oh, you were joking. Oh, you were speaking tough. You've got to work on your delivery, mate. I'm not joking. I sent in a request. <laughs> Two hours later, the relief comes out. All of a sudden, he's got a, a neck problem. I mean, short him. You've got to work on your delivery manners. I, I did find it quite funny because we did start going through several avenues to see if we could get Tim Payne. And then all of a sudden that was a release. And it was like, well, Tim, you could have just said no. <laughs> also, this tongue, this whole tongue-in-cheek scenario, I just have to tell you this, this is quite funny. Re- reminds me of a few weeks ago when I was making fun of the fact that um, broadcasters constantly do the live ladder um, on NRL coverage. And I said, um, can someone send me the uh, – what? what's the live ladder doing? And I got everyone tweeting me with the damn ladder. <laughs> thought, oh, no, I'm obviously not very good at delivering humour either. <laughs> I think I got burnt because when I was in year 12, a fake documentary was aired showing that um, the uh, opening of the Sydney Harbour Bridge was hijacked by someone and all the story and it had been suppressed. And everyone in the class realised that it was a satirical story except me. And I got oh. up to announce that it, was, um, that it was wrong and got laughed down. So ever since then, I've been, um, I just assume everything's a joke until I'm told otherwise. <laughs> That's a good, good view to take. Well, welcome everybody to Cricket Unfiltered. We've got a lot of headlines to get through and then we've got some questions from the listeners and then we'll wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go. To give you an idea of how lockdown's um, going for me, I'm recording with no pants on for the first time. Um, like Alrighty. That doesn't happen in studio. I just, I've just kind of let go. I've kind of let go of dignity now. and I'm wearing a dinner suit as always. <laughs> All right, let's get into the headlines. I'm in a onesie. Excellent. I might do that next week. Uh, All right, let's get into the headlines. Well, the first headline is that the fifth test between England and India at Old Trafford was cancelled at the last minute. Just the morning of the game, the Indians didn't show up and the game was called off. Originally reported as a forfeit, but now we're in the complex world of you know, in negotiations between the two boards. And I think we'll end up just getting a few T20 games next summer instead of the test. I guess, Paul, I know you've been fired up about this. Do you want to just take head off the long run? Well, I was fired up, but I've calmed down. The reason I was fired up was I was, I was looking forward to it so much. I'd said to my family from uh, 8 till 3, from 8 p.m. till 3.30 a.m. for the next five nights, you won't see me. I'm going to be sitting in front of the TV Um I'd taken the position that the game was not going to be a draw. I'd had money on it to that effect. 
everyone was saying it was going to rain off. I've now looked at the, the, the what actually happened and there was almost no rain in Manchester. It wouldn't have been a draw. So it's cost me money. Uh, but the main thing was a wonderful series um, to be counted. And, you know, the, the, that look of fans who, you know, travelling the country to get to the game and, and, and suddenly having it, the pin pulled at the last minute. Yes, they get their gate money refunded, but they don't get the time off work or the, the hotel accommodation or just the sheer disappointment refunded. I was saying on Cricket Daily that it was instructive that the next night, um, Manchester United uh, up the road at the other Old Trafford, Cristiano Ronaldo scored two goals in front of 76,000 people. It was like a metaphor for once again um, football belting cricket in the popularity stakes in England. And so I was really annoyed. But And I heard Robert Craddock say these same words, and I'd already said them, so I'm quite um, gratified that he and I sort of had the same thought process, that our anger mellowed when, you know, you just realised this pandemic is absolutely massive. The death toll of worldwide now over 15 million, almost as much as World War I in half the time. The miracle is that they got seven tests in this summer, not that they had one cancelled. And yes, they could have had everyone living in a hermetically sealed bubble as they had last year, um, but it just wasn't realistic. And sure, Shastri holding his book launch was the wrong thing to do. The Indian players turning up, not wearing masks there was the wrong thing to do. But the chief executive of England cricket was by all accounts there as well. I I just think it's one of these ones where we're living in a horrible pandemic and they did their best, um, short of a hermetically sealed environment. There was no way to guarantee it. And you've got to have a bit of sympathy for all of them involved. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm too mellow now, but that's how I've come, that's how I've come around to it. Jaleesa, how did you read it? Uh, I was just disappointed. I, um, probably, I wasn't as angry as, um, the two of you were. I was just really disappointed given it had been such a, um, interesting series, uh, and, I, I didn't. I just would have liked to see a thrilling conclusion, and I was really looking forward to watching it. So I was just really disappointed at the whole thing. And I do think it's one of those things where, yeah, it was the book launch and everything was a bad look, but I, I just think these things happen in COVID, and we're probably yeah, mid of perspective. No one's dead from yeah, there, so that's good. I think that's a nice perspective, and I think that's how a lot of fans feel, just disappointed. Um, I guess a couple of things. I think it's gone now, that fifth test. I don't think there's any way I agree. play the fifth test next summer. And, and, you know, this series is decided. India won it 2-1. Suck it up, England. Bad luck. And uh, I think perhaps when India, you know, early on in the summer were trying to have this fifth test either moved forward or taken off the schedule, maybe England should have been more amenable at that stage rather than uh, sort of sticking to their guns. So, look, it's, it's a sad situation that, um, you know, the, the fans and all the people that spent money um, didn't get to see the cricket, you know, because they, they get refunded the tickets, but there's hotels, there's transport. In England, people come from all over the country to see test matches. So I do feel have a lot of sympathy for them. And as I said, that, that is gone. But one thing that did strike me was on the day of the cancellation, the ECB chief, Tom Harrison, was interviewed on BBC. And amidst all this, he was asked about the, the prospect of the Ashes being cancelled. And he was very confident the Ashes will go ahead. There was no hesitation in his voice at all without sort of wanting, without Harrison wanting to really sort of put it all on the plays. He was like, Basically, the ashes will happen. It's too valuable not to. So that gave me a lot of hope. I think the ashes will happen. It's just whether we maybe see a different side than we were expecting come out. If there's some players that refuse to come without their families or refuse to come with quarantine, maybe we'll see a different side. But I think in some form it will go ahead. Yeah, I agree it'll go ahead. And uh, I tend to think we'll probably get most of the good players, but it does highlight that his confidence is maybe a little bit misplaced in the sense that player power is like it has never been before. In the past, if, if the board says, said that the series was going ahead, well, that would be pretty much it. Nowadays, if the players ultimately choose something different, then it might not happen this way. All the reports coming out were that the BCCI wanted the Indian players to play and it was them, them who said, um, no, we're not going to. So I think that the Ashes will go ahead. I think we'll probably get most of the best players here. But that's because the players will choose to do so, not because the board forces them. I think the players will be really interested in the actual um, sort of shape of the series, how the fixtures, you know, play out. The fact that I think they, the, the English players won't want, won't want to be in a situation where they're maybe moving around states where they have vastly different COVID restrictions. They won't want to be, say, um, 
you know, in Brisbane being able to go out and get breakfast and walk around town, but then say, come to Sydney where they can't leave their hotel. I think we will see concessions made from Cricket Australia to get the series done. We could have, you know, three tests in Adelaide, two in Brisbane, something crazy like that. Yeah, absolutely. And if I was the English players, that's kind of what I'd be pushing for. I'd be pushing for, number one, the initial two-week quarantine I would want for my family to be allowed to be here and for it to be where we have, say, the run of a resort in the Gold Coast, is what, which is what they're kind of talking about. I think that's feasible, but for that to happen, Cricket Australia needs to make it demonstrably clear that no Australians have lost their place in the queue to come back to Australia. But this is over and above that, and it's not impacting any Australian trying to get back because the optics of that would be, would be terrible. And then they probably need to come to some sort of arrangement saying that if a certain state um, does introduce quar- hard quarantine, then we will move the cricket elsewhere unless it's right at the end of the tour. And if it's the last test match and the families have already gone home, we, we, we might ask for a little bit of um, a little bit of leeway there. Yep. I agree. But one other thing that does annoy me, and I've said it on the podcast before, that there's now coming out of England, this notion of coming to Australia and going into lockdown would feel like going back in time as though England had their lockdowns last year. Australia's a year behind as though they've, they've left the virus in the past. And again, I'll make the point that they're still getting 30,000 cases every day and the death toll is a lot lower because of the vaccinations, but also because the death toll takes a while to, to mount up. People take time to die. And it's already now the, the seven-day moving average of the death toll in the United Kingdom is 140. So that's about 1,000 people a week. That's as many people as Australia has had die during the entirety of the pandemic. I realise the United Kingdom has more than double our population, but still... If on a population-adjusted terms, they're having as many deaths in about two and a half weeks as we have had in the entire pandemic, and we certainly haven't been faultless, I think it's a bit much to sort of say, yeah, um, we've moved beyond it. They're very much still in the grips of it. Yeah, sad times. All righty. Well, let's move from one uplifting topic to another. Um, Afghanistan. Well, we started speaking about their... um, potential involvement in the test match in Australia later this year, coincidentally in Tasmania. That's why Payne wants to steal the SCG test. I've heard a lot of people talking about this issue in the last week. Um, and I, I'm just curious if either of you two have your, your views evolved since our chat. Um, look, no, I think the, the view that Cricket Australia took was the correct one. It's, disappointing in the end that we won't see that likely won't see unless there's a rapid turnaround likely won't see that first um test go ahead between australia and afghanistan which is really disappointing it's disappointing for cricket moving forward but once that interview came out um where the taliban were basically saying well no women's cricket was unlikely to happen. I think there was, they had no other choice but to take a stand against it. um, Beth Mooney actually spoke earlier this week um, and she was really in support of um, the stand that had been taken too, um, that women's cricket was important all around the world. And it's part of a, you know, it's part of a bigger, what you're saying, bigger politically that, well, no, we're not going to have women treated as second-class citizens. And I think it was an important stand, but nevertheless disappointing. Yeah, I think that the, there are no winners here. That the um, the reason that you would cancel the test the matches against the Afghanistan men's team, well, there are two. Number one is in the hope that it would somehow convince the Taliban to uh, change their opinion or prevent them from having the soft diplomacy of being able to say, "Look, everything's normal. Our men's cricket team's playing." I think that there's a that's a fairly long shot on 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 the Taliban changing. But number two, you do it because it's just the right thing to do. If they're going to ban women from playing sport, that's outrageous. However, I have heard people saying that this ban will probably impact the women themselves the most because they will be potentially blamed. Um, the, the, the female cricketers will, will cop the blame for it. So, again, I think, as we said last time, it seems like it's the right thing to do, but I would hope that the best geopolitical minds are sitting around to make sure that, yes, this is the right thing to do, and, you know, smarter and more knowledgeable minds than just cricket people are making these decisions. 
One thing that seems to be getting lost in here that's that the ICC actually requires uh, Test Nations to have a women's team. So Afghanistan will not be able to be a Test Nation and play other uh, countries if it doesn't have a women's cricket team. So it's sort of the decision will then be taken out of individual countries like Australia. This is what complicates things because Afghanistan were given an exemption from that uh, when they were admitted to test status and in the last few years they have got a, a women's program going it's a small one with i think 25 contracted players uh, and you know the counter argument to this is that if you ban them you're punishing the men's cricketers you're also uh, you know maybe cutting afghanistan off again from the cricket community you know will that harm will that stop the game developing there uh, the other points are that you know afghanistan's always been a very socially conservative society and and this is nothing new um so i i you know i've tried to take on board those views in the last week and come to some kind of um decision and where i sort of sit and i think i just sort of go to the gut test and in my gut it doesn't feel right that they they still be allowed to play cricket if they're going to stop um, women playing cricket. That's how I feel in my guts. Um, but then, you know, I look at, say, um, United Arab Emirates, where the T20 World Cup is being played. Homosexuality is illegal there. You know, non-heterosexual relationships are criminalised. So where where does it stop? Because, you know, I don't even think we should be playing tournaments in the UAE with those laws. But, you know, where do you draw the line? You know, it's a very good point, because other countries could say Australia has an abominable stance on climate change. We shouldn't be playing you when you're putting the planet um, in such a horrible situation. I mean, I think, though, that you have to draw a line somewhere. And for me, I agree with you that the the banning of women by the Taliban is across that line. And it's a, it's a fraught, imperfect process. But I agree with you. That's This is a bridge too far. When also, just, just to know that when that exemption was made for Afghanistan, that was made on the grounds that there was work being done, um, there was a commitment to women's cricket and there was work being done to develop the women's game. So it was like the women's game was in progress. It just hadn't reached that level yet. It wasn't as though they had flat out said women will not play cricket. I think the stand, the exemption, would that would be very different today when there was no pathway possible. I don't really think that exemption will would be relevant now. That's a good point. Now, all you right-wingers out there that want to send us in an email after Paul's climate change comment on my comment about the UAE, please. I've heard my earlier comments about IQs under 90. Well, that's okay. That, that's fine. Um, I doubt many of our listeners fall into that category. Apart from Just if you want to troll us, just send us an email. We're, we're king. No, no, please don't. Um, we're right. down. I'm down for it. All right, next bit of news. Well, can you take this away, Paul, about Matthew Hayden's appointment? Um, so Matthew Hayden has been appointed as one of the two assistant coaches for Pakistan heading into the T20 World Cup. The other is Vernon Philander. They apparently have a new head coach named, but that hasn't been made public yet. Ramiz Raja uh, has been the former Pakistan player, and uh, many of you will be familiar with the long-time commentator, is in charge of the Pakistan Cricket Board at the moment. So these are appointments that he has made. Uh, it's in the wake of... Ms. Varal Huck and uh, Waka Yunus walking away from uh, the, the Pakistan team. So they're kind of looking for a coach. Now, I have kind of two views on this. One, normally I'd say you shouldn't be a coach unless you've got coaching credentials. But I think this is an unusual situation where at the last minute they've had to find new talent. It's not as though he's going to be the head coach. I could actually see how he could do a good job in a short, sharp burst of having his uh, sort of passion and um, professionalism uh, on show. So that's that's fine. Uh, I wouldn't think that he should be a long-term option. But I, I do think it's also slightly interesting, and although I'd never criticise someone for earning a living and that's all good, but for someone who's worn his Australianness so strongly and, you know, singing the song so passionately, um, it is a little bit strange that he is now going to actively be uh, working towards ensuring that that team song is not sung assuming that Australia happened to meet Pakistan in one of the, uh, in the semi-final, for example. And um, if I was Justin Langer, I'd be a little bit annoyed about it. I, I, again, I stress he's absolutely fine to do it, but it just comes across as a little bit strange. I've just got this vision 
of Matt Hayden walking into the dressing room. He's got his Akubra on, got the, the shorts on, he's got the, the Queensland tan. And he, I just got this thing. He puts one leg up on a bench and he leans <laughs> over to a player and he goes, did you hear about the time Roy and I swam in from our boat when it came out? <laughs> and just went through his fishing tips with some of these guys. But look, I think it, what I echo what you said, Paul. I think it's not a bad appointment. I think it'll be interesting. I think new voices in coaching are always worthwhile. And I just want um, Pakistan to meet Australia in the semi final and Langer and Hayden to square off on the sideline. <laughs> if, if Langer was upset about someone posting the Bangladesh song on CA, what was he like when he read that his best mate was coaching another team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd like to be a fly on the wall when they had that conversation. Absolutely. I've got no problem with it. I think um, a job's a job and if you need to um, go overseas to get opportunities like that and become a better coach and move up in the world, then then good on him. I always have a problem when the reverse happens um, and it doesn't really happen in cricket as much in Australia as it does in uh, soccer football, whatever you like to call it, um, or rugby where it often like in rugby, we always like seem to get New Zealand coaches or New Zealand um, CEOs and things like that. Uh, I always have a problem with that because I'm like, how committed are you to this? So I find the reverse very uncomfortable, but uh, I'm happy for him to go over and become a better coach over there. Exactly. Now, speaking of Australians going overseas, Ben Dwarshus, the Sydney Sixers left um Fast bowler has been signed by the Delhi Capitals. He's um, going to join Ponting's team, replacing Chris Woke. So that's good for him. Um, some news coming out about the domestic summer that the the domestic summer has been delayed. So New South Wales and Victoria have not um, got any fixtures on the horizon at the moment while they sort of navigate um, the COVID lockdowns. But Western Australia and South Australia are playing each other and Queensland and Tasmania. So there will be some domestic cricket action starting next week in the Shield and then the Marsh 50-over Cup. But at this stage, they literally have just fixtured like the next week. They've got fixtures after that that make no sense. So um, not sure what's going to happen there. And then uh, with the WBBL, it's supposed to start in Sydney next month. I'm hearing that they're going to play it in hubs like they did um, the the big bash, the men's big bash last summer and just kind of try and navigate again the the restrictions. So you know, maybe they'll start the WBBL in Hobart or Tasmania and play some games there and then move on to somewhere else in the country where they can play with crowds. But I, my feeling is, there is no way the WBBL will be played in a hub again. The players just will not let it happen. I think that they'd be very reluctant to let it happen um, because it seems that one sort of massive summer of hubs is is, is enough for anyone. But to say no, they wouldn't, um, you know, that they, they are very tough and they are, you know, I wouldn't put it past them saying we don't want it, but we'll do it. Why do you think they wouldn't, Menace? I just think the players would just not stand for it. I know there was a lot of the players that really did not enjoy that WBBL hub last year. Some said it publicly and I just think they would rather just not come to Sydney or, or Melbourne or Victoria if, if they're in heavy restrictions and they'll just play in parts of the country where they can play, whether that's, you know, Tasmania to, um, Adelaide and then maybe up to Brisbane, depending on how the border sitch is going. That may be the sort of result we get. All right. Well, that's it for the cricket headlines. Let's take a quick break and then we will be back with listener mail and can't let it go. If you want to send in some questions, not about our political comments in this show, you can auscricketpod at gmail.com. That's AUS cricketpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Amenas. All right. After the break, viewer mail. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Paul and Jaleesa. Uh, let's get into the viewer mail. A couple of people have reached out to me in the last couple of weeks and said my voice has been a bit distorted or it's been a bit loud. So I hope it's a little bit better today. Sorry about that. Um, but we're recording via Zoom, which can be a little bit up and down. But we're doing our best in difficult circumstances. I'm just really glad you got that feedback because you're so mean to us when we have audio issues. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really my, glad my that it was you. 
by laptop. It's 2021. Um, all right. Do you want to read the first uh, viewer mail, Paul? This is from Alexi. Hi, Menace, Delisa and Paul. I was listening to your discussion about James Faulkner not re-signing with Hobart Hurricanes. I think the main reason the Hurricanes didn't want to spend too much money on Faulkner is because of his injuries. Over the past two BBL seasons, Faulkner has only played 12 out of a possible 29 games due to injuries. While Faulkner is a very good player and I think that the Hurricanes would have liked to keep him, I can understand why they would have been reluctant to spend too much money on him given his injuries over the last two seasons. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I enjoy the podcast and look forward to the new episode every week. Thanks very much for that message, Alexi. Alexi, you are 100% correct. And also, he's got all those injuries and he's 31 and we are not ageist on this program. We are very pro-Dan Christian. But when you're 31 with all those injuries, your value does tend to go down. Also, your fast bowlers are a dime a dozen. So I think you've got a lot of good talent coming through and you you don't really need to take the risk on that. I, you are, you're worth what you're worth. He, if he's worth more, he'll find more. I think the thing with Faulkner, though, was that in his point of view, it was the way that it was conveyed. Um, if you accept that they didn't want him and if you accept that what Faulkner said was an accurate um, account of how things turned out, they could have handled that better. Also, I see their point of view that if I'm an, uh, a big bash uh, squad manager, I want Faulkner in my side. Sure, he's only played um, a few games in the last couple of years because of injuries, but Pat Cummins had years where he was injured. doesn't mean he'll always be injured. And I don't think that Faulkner is a diamond dozen type of bowler. I think that um, he is a very handy white ball bowler and can bat as well. His batting has fallen away a little bit in recent times. But I think as far as big bash standard goes, um, he's someone I'd be willing to take a punt on. But Hobart won't, and maybe they could have handled it a little bit better. I agree. I think that what you say, Paul, is if, if they didn't want him, just say it at the end of last summer. Adam Griffith, the coach, just you, you, you sidle up to Faulkner after the last game and you say, look, we're thinking of moving on and you lay it out there. You don't sort of try and offer him a really low price so he runs away. I thought that was pretty poor. Maybe he had, though, and he thought, oh, no, my manager can do better than that. He'll, they, they won't do that. Like We don't know what goes on behind these uh, with these negotiations. So maybe he had been sort of told, pretty early this is this is uh, an offer and he thought now they're lowballing me i'm gonna hold out and it's not worked out we don't know that's a good point that um i'm relying on my criticism for accepting um faulkner's side of the story maybe the hurricanes would have a very different side so yeah that's a very good point julissa did either of you listen to the full interview faulkner did with tim payne no um no because <laughs> well, I did, um, because what what struck me was Payne's tone, and Payne was very supportive. He seemed annoyed at the way things had transpired, and you talk about not knowing what goes on behind closed doors. Well, I think Tim Payne would know what went went on, and if he's not happy, then I, I, I'm sort of my guts tell me it was something amiss there. But thank you for the question alexi maybe Payne was just uh, supporting his mate but also Payne's also where where Payne would have got that information from is his mate because often players well i mean i know it happens a lot in rugby league a lot of the contract negotiations go on between some of the players don't even know what's happening goes goes on with managers and clubs and so maybe the maybe there's been something happened there where we, we just don't know we, we we're not hearing the other side of the story where and because they're not going to come out and say, well, this is the offer that we gave him and blah, 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 for obvious reasons. We just don't don't know. You're worth what you're worth. And if he's worth more, he'll find it. All right. Next question from Martin Lawrence, our good friend, Martin. Do you care about the return of the IPL? I, I probably don't as much. It feels like it's already um, happened. It, I, I don't know. Maybe it's that... Um, the way that everything went down before, I think it would have just been better just to call it this year. I, I'm not super invested in it. No, I'm a bit, uh, a little bit the same. I, I'm the, the way that the IPL was so mishandled and the arrogance of the BCCI to to not handle it better really did annoy me. And the fact that it's now um, being shoehorned into this part of the season, yeah, um, I'm not as interested in the IPL as I normally would be. But come next year. I'll be back interested in it again. I'll probably watch a bit of it this time around. And ultimately, maybe uh, the fact that there are so many good players on show and it's a lead up to 
the World Cup, which I'll be very interested in. I'll probably find myself watching a lot more of it. But yeah, I'm a little bit, uh, the IPL has lost a little bit of its um, affection from me because of the way that um, it's handled things this year. But I'm sure I'll be okay with it going forward. Well, Martin, I cannot wait for it to start. Love the IPL. Love the fact that it's all the best players together. This second half will be slightly affected by the amount of withdrawals. We've seen three English players withdraw after the cancelled test. I wonder if that was a coincidence. But, um, yeah, I- I'm really excited about it. Can't wait to see um, who lifts the title. Can Ricky Ponting's Delhi Capitals do it? Someone please send that audio to the BCCI. All right. Um, <laughs> Next question. This is from Sharbel from Crickblog, one of our colleagues on Cricket Daily. What are your thoughts on South Africa's chances in the T20 World Cup? Well, I've had a bit, I've had a bit of money on them at, at good odds, not because I think they'll win, but I just think that the fact that everyone's been dismissing them as having no chance seems a little bit much to me. I think that their spin bowling led by Shamsi is going to mean that they're always competitive and South Africa's always a decent side. So, yeah, I think that um, if I had to put my life on it, I certainly wouldn't be picking them to win, but at decent odds, they're worth a, a small punt. I think they're just in a very difficult group with England, Australia and uh, West Indies. I struggle to see Australia getting through over um, in, in that group. So, I no, I don't probably think that they're going to get past the group stage, if I'm honest. I give South Africa half a chance because they beat West Indies in a T20 series earlier this year. Uh, it's an easy two points against Australia. So they've already got sort of two wins <laughs> there. And, and then it's just the Poms and the two, and the two qualifiers. So, uh, I, I actually think South Africa maybe have more of a chance than I thought. Um, when I, that question was thrown in. Last question from DK. If pain is out of action for the summer, who captains, who keeps? An interesting question because mm. on the one hand, it's the Australian captain and the wicketkeeper. You'd think that it's massively significant. But my answer is actually, I don't care. I think it'd be quite fine for, for Pat Cummins to be captain. Um, I, I think it'd be fi- quite fine for Tim Payne to be a captain. If Tim Payne's available, I'm picking him. If he's not, I'm happy for Alex Carey or someone else. I don't think there's a whole lot uh, of difference. I don't think it's um, – I'd be much more concerned if, um, you know, uh, several other players are injured. I think Tim Payne's doing a solid job and he'll keep on doing a solid job, both as captain and as keeper. But if someone else has to do it, they'll do an equally solid job. So, yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say Cummins and um, Carey. Uh, I'd probably um, go with Wade to keep. Yes, like it. Yes, yes. I, so I'd go with Wade um, to keep. Uh, and I think that if Tim Payne is out of the whole summer as captain, we've probably seen the last of Tim Payne as captain because I don't know if he will go on beyond this summer, but I think that we would probably see Cummins and maybe that would be a nice little transition into the Cummins era. If it was up to me, I'd obviously have Maxwell as, as keeper just because. Yeah, I, you know what? I was thinking to myself, that's weird he hasn't mentioned this yet. Maybe this is coming. Because, of course, the... It's your fault, you know, Talisa. They make the, the position of keepers absurdly overrated in terms of how specialised it is. If Maxwell had a couple of weeks training, I'm sure that with his athleticism, he'd be better than most of them. We'd have a great batter. Might as well make him captain as well. Sorry, listeners. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Appreciate Please it. stay with us. There's more coming. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I actually um, heard Mark Taylor saying yesterday that he thinks maybe Steve Smith should be given a captaincy if Payne's not available for the summer. <gasps> I would have Josh Inglis as the keeper, and I don't think it really matters if Payne's available for this summer or not. I don't think it'll affect the series results. So, yeah, don't think it's a big. So I don't think summer. Steve. We will not see. I don't think we'll see Steve Smith as captain again. If he was going to be captain, it would have been when Aaron Finch was out of that T Twenty in where the one that was played at Monica Oval in Canberra, and he wasn't given it then. So why would he be given it now? I think the problem with that was that they liked the fact that they didn't have to make a decision. And by not giving him that, in their minds, they still hadn't made a decision. But if they made Smith the captain, then then the decision has been made. And so I think that's um, that's where they're coming from. What do you mean they didn't have to make the decision, though? Because they didn't have Finch and they didn't have Cummins. No, but they could say, um, at this stage, we, we, we haven't yet made up our mind. By making Smith captain, then they've they've given a big tick that yes, he's in the um, he's in the frame. He basically will then have to be the next Test captain. Whereas if they don't make him captain, they still have that option. Right. They, can just, 
they can just say, as this one off, we don't want to have to uh, be forced to make this massive decision here and now. We want to make it on our terms at a future date. I think, though, if it was, if Tim Payne was out for one, say, one game, first game or second game, I still think they'd go with Cummins. And I, I, I just, I see that Pat Cummins is the next captain. And I think it would be a easy way for them to test the waters on that. I agree. I think Cummins is the next captain. Well, thank you to everyone who wrote in. Um, we appreciate all the questions and you can hit us up on Twitter, Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod at Oz Cricket Pod on Twitter. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. So find us on your favourite social media app and send us a question. Can I just um, mention one other tweet that we got? Yes, yes please. Um, so this is from Pridham, um, who tweets at Bahari British. Um, and he said, um, you, you listen, it is a question, you listen to any particular podcast and over the time you feel like you're friends with those anchors. This is what's happened to me. I now like Paul Dennett, A. Menas, and Jaleesa Apps more. Enjoy their conversations. And it was just a really nice tweet to get. Um, I think he's tweeted us before. Um, by the look of his profile, he lives in um, India. And I'm, I have a feeling he tweeted us before when India was in lockdown and said that he was enjoying um, listening while it was in lockdown. It was just a really, I know this is probably really self-indulgent to read that tweet, but I just, it was a really nice um, tweet to get. And because I think sometimes I actually, I don't know about you guys, but I actually forget that people listened sometimes <laughs> um, and actually enjoy it because we just sort of do it um, because we enjoy it. But um, yeah, it was just a really nice tweet to get. And it's nice actually interacting with all the people that tweet us like Martin and um, Robert Fairhead and um, people who regularly tweet us because you do feel like you've got like this little cricket community and it's really nice. Yeah. Pritam um, is a regular tweeter and um, big supporter of this show and also of Cricket Daily and quite often it- the wee hours of the morning, um, I've been up and, and he's been up and we've tweeted each other. So, yeah, thank you very much, Britain. I love our audience. Even the um, guy that came up to me while I was commentating on a Shield match and tried to tell me how much he loved the show, like while I was on air. Um, but, yeah, love all the people, love meeting fans. So thanks to everybody that sent in messages. Um, all right. I still love the tweet that we got or the message that you guys got when you were like, oh, Jaleesa's on Channel, channel 9 now and I've been there for five years. <laughs> well, takes a podcast like this to get noticed. I know, say. it's so funny. <laughs> all right, just can't let it go, time. That little bit of cricket news, you just can't let go through to maybe Tim Payne, maybe Josh Inglis, depending on his neck. Um, Paul, you want to open up with this? We'll get this one out of the way. Uh, we'll- yeah, this one, this one annoys you, I think, Manners. But um, every year I can't help but look, what's the ticket prices doing? And I always look at the SCG day one, and it always kind of makes me a little bit angry because I just think, as always, they are too expensive. Now, looking at the ticket prices for day one, the best thing, though, let me start with, finally you can select individual seats. When I went to England in 2013, I was amazed that you could actually pick the exact seat in the ground you wanted. And it's taken eight years that my hometown, you can now do that. I think other parts of Australia, you've been able to do it before. But that's a really significant thing rather than a computer allocating where you have to sit. If you can pick the one you want, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But ticket prices for SCG day one, they are $190, $160, $105, $65, $70, $65 and $30. And to all of that, you have to add a $7.10 booking fee. Now, my objection to this is that I want to sit undercover and with a bit of elevation. In order to do that, really only the top two tiers are um, worthwhile. And I just think that $190, where you can actually be put square on um, in the Rwongle stand. Now, obviously, you can choose your own seats, but if there's none left, you could buy a $190 ticket and be sitting pretty much square on to the wicket. Test cricket has some wonderful days. It can have some dull days as well. I just think those prices are too high. You move down to something like $65, much more affordable. As I always say, you're sitting in the O'Reilly stand, which is a great way to get um, heat stroke. And then the $30 tickets, which I think are rather cynical because there are almost none of them. There's a tiny few bays. It's just like they've created those so they can say tickets start from $30. Well, they start from $30 if you want to sit in the worst seats in the ground and definitely wake, wake up the next day with, with heat stroke from being in the 30-degree sun all day. So I understand it goes for seven hours and blah, blah, blah. I just think that they're a little bit too expensive. I really applaud your sentiment, Paul. I love it when you go into 
bat for the the little guy. And, and I, I do see where you're coming from. They are exorbitant. But I guess the way ticket prices are, that they are market determined. And the problem is that if these prices are significantly lowered, it will just mean that a secondary market will emerge and people will be, you know, buying tickets and on selling them. And you'll end up paying just as much, if not more. I know that, you know, often when they're pricing concerts or, or big events, they have to sort of push it to the limit just to avoid a secondary market. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. I no, I don't buy that either because there's so many things that are done to protect that now. And they say yeah. that because it's a, it's a good thing to say to justify the high prices. But I still think if you take, um, you know, if I'm going to take my mum along to the cricket and say if I said, okay, well, we can go in the $160 seats, which is the cheapest because I can't have her in the sun all day. That's $327.50 for the two of us. If it's a day where it's a run rate of two and over and they go off a bad light even though they've got the lights on, um, you walk away from that and think, I don't want to go back to that. And I just think that it's not value for money. Sometimes it is, but more often than not, it's not. And if I just don't think that the secondary market is that massively popular, and maybe maybe this is an illegal opinion, I don't care. I quite like the secondary market. If you're that desperate to get tickets, I've done it before. Um, you know, I'll go on and buy from a scalper if I have to because I want to get a seat. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Well, anyway, I listen to a podcast called Planet Money. There's an episode, episode Kid Rock versus the Scalpers. If you're interested in ticket prices and the way it works, go and find it. One last one for me. Um, just seen this article today. Um, I think it was in the Daily Telegraph. Upset over the infighting that has plagued Australian politics during the COVID pandemic and sick of the bullshit that politicians want to throw, Aussie men's opening batsman Warner recently said he will strongly consider a tilt at government when he retires. Uh, not that David Warner is going to be asking my advice, but if he does, I'd give him the same advice that I would have given John Howard with at the, at the end of his political career. He said he's considering a tilt at the Australian cricket team when he retires. I'd say maybe you should do other things. Warner for PM. I like it. I don't know. Like, I mean, Trump became president. Everything's possible. That worked out well, didn't it? Real. It's better than Biden. Um, all right. Next. Eight minutes. Uh, was, that was just evening things up. That's, I said the evening things no, up. Yeah. Paul. yeah um, <laughs> this will keep the right wingers off our back, trust me. We haven't made any political comments yet. I've said climate change is real. That's not political. And I've said Donald Trump's an idiot. That's not political either. You said Joe Biden's an idiot. That is political. I didn't say that. I said he's better than Biden. Anyway, Jaleesa, what's your, um, what's your can't let it go? God, I am really bringing the tone down with mine, just so you know. <laughs> Once we've gone from political chat uh, to a hilarious blooper that happened on ABC Breakfast, there's uh, sports presenter Tony Armstrong, who I have to say held it together very, very well, made quite a blunder when talking about Tim Payne and his neck injury. Have a listen. Australian skipper Tim Payne is set to undergo neck surgery, but medical staff remain confident that the veteran will be fit for the ashes. Payne has a bulging dick that has been disc that has been that's a funny one has been causing him pain. I'm going to throw to you very quickly, Michael. Bulging what? Disc. Disc. I said disc. That's what. That's what I thought you said. So obviously, uh, that was um, that was a little bit of a mistake. He had a bulging disc, uh, which Tony <laughs> co- corrected. And as I said, I think Tony held it together very well because if that was me, I would have absolutely lost it. And I can sort of see how it happens sometimes when you're reading the teleprompter. You sort of going through a little bit of the motions and especially if it's something that you haven't written if you're looking at the word disc and you're going d-i-c and you're expecting the rest of the word to come you sort of um yeah yeah i can see how it would happen and poor tony armstrong but he handled it very well and recovered quite well but then tim payne's response was very elite he said true story actually (laughs) so (laughs) good on well done tim payne Good for you. Uh, terrific stuff from Tony. Uh, hilarious. All right. My um, can't let it go. I guess I've got two. Uh, the first one is Farwad Ahmed has bo- helped bowl his team into the Caribbean Premier League final, took two wickets in the semifinal, and it just made me wonder if we really ever gave Farwad Ahmed enough of a chance in our international T20 side. Uh, I think put him up against Adam Zampa, even now there's probably not much between them? I think that's an excellent point. And I think that he got on the tour of, was it an Ashes tour, played mm. a couple of uh, county games or a couple of, did he play a one-day game or something and got 
uh, hammered around and they just basically drew a line through him. And I think that was a mistake. And I think even now, as you sort of hint at, he wouldn't be the worst person for our World Cup side. Absolutely, especially in the UAE with those wickets. So that was my can't let it go. But my other one I had to was just a little bit self-indulgent. But, you know, after sort of three months of lockdown, you know, it can get monotonous. You can feel a bit down. And I've certainly um, I've been going through ups and downs the last few weeks. And I was looking through my Instagram account and, and I put up some commentary from last summer. And I was looking at, you know, calling a Labashain 100 and calling my first ever hat trick. And I was thinking, you know, to everyone out there who's in lockdown, it's important to be, you know, thankful for the good times you've had. And then, you know, cricket and the summer ahead is something to be hopeful for. You know, I can guarantee we will get a cricket summer. It's going to happen. It's going to be fun. There's going to be lots of great matches to go to. And I think, you know, I still think every state will get some cricket. So, you know, that's giving me a bit of hope to cling on to the fact that um, hopefully, you know, come summer we'll be at a cricket ground watching some cricket. Yeah, good, good call. And, Get you know if you've got someone in your family or friends who isn't yet vaccinated and is reluctant to uh, get vaccinated, don't do what I would do and tell them that they're fools. Be nice to them, understand them, and try to uh, try to convince them to do it. Uh, that's the the message is let's all get as many people vaccinated as possible and be nice about it. Unlike me, yeah, I um I have a few quite a few friends back in the country where I'm from, and they were um against getting the vaccine. They were, well, they weren't against getting the vaccine. They were just more they were hesitant and worried and also didn't feel it necessary because it hadn't spread there so it's really hard if you aren't you're a little bit disconnected to what it's like to have COVID around you to then try and take go and get convince yourself to get a vaccine which you know there's all this information about what I'm finding is that now they're all vaccinated because COVID made it to the country they all got and but they were all you know some of them were pregnant and they didn't know you know they were a little bit worried about that and um what i find is that just if you yeah if you just talk to them about us what was their fear and and talk to about your own experience um they they sort of eventually everyone seems to come around unless you're a very staunch anti-vaxxer yeah you're very very rarely going to reach the really staunch ones again i refer to my 90 IQ comment earlier on. Um, and then as last thing, um, with your talk about balance, I was trying to find that line. It's that um, if, if one person says it's sunny and one person says it's raining, your job as a journalist is not to say both. It's to actually open the window and have a look out and see what it is. What was that referring to, though? When you said that you wanted to criticise Biden just to give some balance to the show. Ah, right. Okay. Well, thank you for um, that insight. I'll look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's perfect, but far from it. But, uh, you know. He's better than Trump. There are sun showers. <laughs> I'm not getting into this uh, conversation any longer. Everybody, thanks for listening to this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Jaleesa, have a great week. Can't wait to uh, catch up with you next week. Yes, yes, as always. Pleasure to talk to you both. Paul, have fun dealing with your very full inbox over the next few days after this is released. Yeah, if you want to send me a message, if you're angry, get someone to teach you how email works and send it to me. All righty. That's Cricket Unfiltered for this week. Back next week. (laughs) That was funny. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.